Welcome to Marvelous Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, and that is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and it's been a busy, crazy week on the Marvel Entertainment news front, which is why I'm just going to bring in my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, ASAP, because I got to know, what do you think is the top Marvel-related news story this week? I would bury Venom at the bottom because I, I got a bad taste in my mouth from Venom, and I'm sorry for the people that liked it. I disagree with you. Okay, we're going to push that to the back of the show then because it's clear you you have... Some feelings here you need to express. There's so. opinions. James Gunn, I thought was, oh, that's just a crazy rumor. And it seemed to get a little bit more solid and more sources jumping on it. And it's like, well, okay, that okay. Se- seems to float to the top. And then Ryan Coogler, because it's two directors. So let's start off with the directors and okay. dealer's choice. You pick which director we start with. Well, the Ryan Coogler news about finally locking a deal into place for Black Panther 2 I'm going to die from lack of surprise. <laughs> no, hold on. I've got a surprise face. It's in my closet. Let me grab it. Let me yeah, grab it. Hold on. I mean, Ta-da. Given <laughs> when a movie makes $700 billion, just stateside, and then goes on to make $1.3 billion internationally, yes, we're going to see another one of these. In fact, the unannounced or unnamed Marvel film that's coming out February 12, 2021, in February, the exact same month that Black Panther came out this year, mm-hmm. we knew. We knew this was coming. It was yeah. just to pay tribute to his representation that you know they, they kept at it and probably got this man the best possible deal and the biggest possible budget, and hopefully it'll translate into a good movie. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, what you, you mentioned also here with the directors, the James Gunn thing, for those of you who didn't hear that... Earlier this week, it was announced that he had cut a deal with DC to write. Well, initially it was said that he was writing Suicide Squad 2. However, there's been some clarification come since then, and supposedly it's an all-new take. It's not necessarily going to be a sequel, so I don't know if we're going to see Will Smith or Margot Robbie again. Well, she's supposed to be doing, like, a solo thing with the other, what are they called, the the Gotham bombshells or whatever? Yes. The female squads. Yeah. Uh, so she may be busy Bird, doing birds that. Birds of Prey, I think. Yeah, Birds of Prey. Called. Yeah, so she may be busy doing that. Jared Leto's Joker may not have to have anything to do with anything at the moment because they've Mm -hmm. got a Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie that they're working on right now Mm -hmm. that's not attached to anything in the current DCU. It's its own standalone thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they have said, well, we don't we're not going to have all of the Suicide Squad and it may be a couple of the characters may come back, but there's definitely going to be some fresh new faces definitely added. There were a number of people at Disney who were holding out hope that there would be a way to bring James Gunn back eventually. In fact, there were a number of people at this studio who flat out told me that given that Alan Horn, who the former Warner Brothers guy who was brought on board at Disney, Alan Horn was forced into retirement by the guys at Warner's. And Bob Iger actually invited him to come over to Disney in 2012, and he proceeded to be in charge of the studio during 
this amazing box office run. Originally, what the story was that Alan, having had this second huge success and standing back and kind of having fun because Warner's was clearly stumbling with its follow-up to the Harry Potter movies, and of course that was the DC Universe movies that weren't really connecting with audiences in the way they had hoped. But the idea was that the guy was going to effectively get to ride off into the sunset with the with the release of Mary Poppins Returns, which is everybody's saying is this monster hit. But then here's Bob Iger who cuts the deal to acquire certain film and television assets for Fox. It's one of these things where it's going to take years to successfully meld these companies and sort out the executives and that sort of thing. And Iger himself, who was supposedly going to be leaving Disney in the next year or two, extended his deal with the company to 2021. And he reportedly turned to Alan and said, look, we're going to need corporate continuity. We're going to need a good, stable hand. Would you stay on? Once Iger formally made that ask of Horn, that was when the word trickled back to Gunn. It's like, this isn't going to happen anytime soon. Right. Horn's probably going to be here another year, two, three. That means Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is already on indefinite hold, certainly isn't going to be directed by Gunn. No, but the more important thing that I think is that when DC has been finding that they've been having trouble with their their movies, mm-hmm. you remember when Zack Snyder had to step away from the last Justice League movie because mm-hmm. of a personal tragedy in the family, yep. they brought in Joss Whedon, who mm-hmm. had directed the Avengers movies. And they had no problem stealing talent away from Marvel because they had the opportunity. Well, they had a a tragedy and they needed to fill. And I think Joss has got a good enough soul in him that he can look past enemies across a corporate line and and go do a a favor for another human Mm -hmm. and, and do his best to fill in that spot. And I know that there are people that want the Zack Snyder only cut without Joss's tweakings of, of what he did and whatever. But the fact was, if if someone didn't come in and finish that movie, you wouldn't have gotten the movie. Sure. And so who better than the guy that made a bazillion dollars for Marvel doing an Avengers film? It's another ensemble piece where each character needs to have their moments to, to shine and whatever. And I thought there were some really decent moments in the last Justice League movie, and I can't wait for... I cannot believe I'm saying this. I can't wait for Aquaman to come out. Have you seen the trailer for Aquaman? I have seen the trailer. You know what's different about it? It's bright. It's colorful. All of the other DC movies have been very desaturated and their colors very dark, you know, where Superman's suit looks more like navy, navy blue instead of bright blue and all of that. But this has all the color in the world. And that's one thing I think DC is starting to learn is we don't need to oversaturate or desaturate all of our colors and make it dark and gritty to be realistic. You know, we can actually have some pop in our color. And that's what I really love about this. It looks bright, vibrant, playful, crazy. The things with the sharks versus the seahorses. Oh, I can't believe I'm excited for Aquaman. I'm going to slap myself. I'm all for there being competition in the marketplace because it it means we get better things. Yeah, but it makes sense that DC's, I mean, they've already done it with Joss, so I just think it makes sense that when uh, James Gunn was let go, Mm -hmm. that they would be the first ones to snag him up and go, you know how to make money. 
And right now, it's not about your past. It's about we need someone that has a brain that can fix our broken toys. Not to belabor the obvious here, but, you know, it's it's a relatively easy Venn diagram when you look at, you know, sure. sort of the rogues gallery of guardians and you look at the grouping for Suicide Squad. Yeah. This is a guy who has a clear gift for stories that involve misfits. In a weird sort of way, I think it's a good fit. I, yeah. I look forward to seeing James's take on Suicide Squad. But, but again, there's a part of me that just is sad that we're not going to get his take on yeah. Volume 3. On the other hand, what is it? Uh, David Batista? Drax, Drax. Evidently has already w raised his hand and it's like, do you have a role for me in this thing? You know, Suicide Squad? So I can play a bad guy. Oh, before we, we step away from stuff that got impacted by the Fox merger, I guess this is time that we should talk about Dark Phoenix, which just got its release date pushed back again. The film that started off with the title X-Men Dark Phoenix, and initially was supposed to come out next month, November 2nd, 2018. But then there were it was necessary to do some reshoots. Michael Feisbender and Jennifer Lawrence returned to work on the movie, and... Knowing the whole X-Men Dark Phoenix storyline, mm -hmm. it's just kind of intriguing. Yes, February 14th. That's the perfect day to bring out this story. But now <laughs> they've kicked the can down the street to June 7th, 2018. And not only that, the film's going out with a, a foreshortened title. It's now the X-Men has been dropped off and it's just called Dark Phoenix couple interesting theories about this. One is Avengers 4 comes out May 3rd. There are stories this past week or so that Disney could take possession of the Fox film and television assets as early as January 1st of uh, next year. Right. So do you think this is repositioning at Disney's behest to sort of keep a a clear path for um well it depends what was what was lined up in february that they were running away from and uh when does spider-man come out is that july yeah i want to say it's pretty much in the same slot that homecoming was back in 2017 so that that would be first week of july thereabouts there's a couple of different thoughts. If they're running away from a movie, that's not a good sign. If they're just going to make it better, mm -hmm. I'm okay with them extending a date. There's a lot of times where they live and die by a date. Like the some executive just put an X on a calendar and went, that's where your movie's going to be. Here's your money. Go make it by then. Mm -hmm. And no matter what happens, if a hurricane comes through, then, you know, and you got to rebuild sets, it doesn't matter. You still got to get it done by the date. And so when a studio is able to extend shooting, I'm okay with that usually. Wasn't there once upon a time Toy Story 2 was like three quarters complete and then they canned the whole thing and rewrote it from the mm, ground up? Yeah, that, and they barely made the deadlines on that one. That was, I mean, and in fact, I think that's the real credit to the folks at Pixar is you look at the finished film and none of that strain shows up on screen. It's, it's a great, great story and... It is, but the, but yeah, no, the courage right. it, to it, throw it, away that much of a movie because they saw it wasn't working and start from the ground up, I think that takes a lot of courage for a company to do that. So if they're seeing any weak signs in Dark Phoenix and they're like, hey, let's rewrite this scene and we got to reshoot and we got to postpone because someone's not here because they're all filming another movie in a different country, I don't care. I would rather have a good movie a couple months later than a rushed one that I'm not happy with. Speaking, though, of Avengers 4, back on October 4th, 
Chris Evans tweeted from the set, said, officially wrapped on Avengers 4. It was an emotional day, to say the least. Playing this role over the last eight years has been an honor. To everyone in front of the camera, behind the camera, and in the audience, thank you for the memories. Eternally grateful. That to me, it sounds like Chris is getting ready to hang up his shield. And, and in fact, early this year in March, he was doing an interview with the New York Times when he was making his Broadway debut and, and Lobby Hero. And he sort of inferred that you want to get off the train before you they push you off. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'm ready to say goodbye to Chris Evans's Captain America yet. They got to make room for the, the new roster coming in. I don't think... If any of the Avengers say this is their final film, mm-hmm. uh, that may be kind of true that it is their their final film of mm-hmm. there may be not a, a new Captain America movie in the future. But Cap could all, instead of dying, he could retire. Any of our cast could be retired and just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. But he could still show up to offer advice as a cameo a year or two down the line if need be. And it's not that big of a deal for them to just go, hey, uh, we need you for 30 seconds. Can you come in on set? That, for me, was half the fun of, of Chris Evans, is that I would put his take on Captain America right up there with Christopher Reeve did with Superman. I mean, it was, sure. it, it was, it was sincere. It, would, it felt real. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would, he was believable as the superhero, but at the same time grounded. He also didn't seem to take himself all that seriously. I mean, the... No. The wonderful cameo he did in Thor Dark World, or for that matter, the You're in Detention film, (laughs) you know, from Homecoming. But at the same time, I loved the arc of the story that they've given him over the last eight films. The fact that he was a disillusioned hero who was still heroic. Right. I know we're going to get some variation on... I can do this all day at some point in Avengers 4. I just. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to land emotionally heavy with certain things sometimes. Like I just said a few minutes ago, they could retire Cap. They very well could kill Cap. And mm-hmm. I would cry like a baby if his last line before getting the axe on screen was, I could do this all day him sacrificing himself for the greater good. Oh man, I'm I'm getting kind of weepy just thinking about him I, doing that right I, now. I have to admit I'm Mar- Marvel writers if you're listening, you've still got time. If he's going to die, make that his last line. We'll all cry. It'll yeah, last yeah. for decades. It'll go down like the hand solo uh, I love you I know line. It'll be like that. It'll go on forever. Well, speaking of things that potentially made us cry, I guess we should probably pivot to talking about Venom, which which you and I have two different takes on, so yeah. how, about, how about this? We'll let folks step away, get themselves an adult beverage, because it's, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting conversation. So, we'll be right back, folks. And we're back, and before the brawl, <laughs> let me start with a, a bit of good news. I know there are a lot of folks who have been wondering about the Marvel land that's coming to Disney's California Adventure that with a Bugs Land closing September 4th of this year to to make way for some sort of Marvel related project because mm-hmm. we know it's coming but when is it coming well we we have a clue now the September 13th issue of the Disneyland Resort line that's the in-house newsletter that Disney distributes to the 23,000 people who work in Anaheim at the Disneyland Resort. 
they had an article about the closing of A Bug's Land. And here's a direct quote from the piece. Cast members from all over the resort came out for two cast member-only events in late August to say an emotional goodbye the week before construction began to transform the area into an exciting new superhero-themed land scheduled to open in 2020. And that's the first time that Disney's dropped that info about an actual opening. Now, of course, the question is, are we talking the whole land up and running by 2020? I don't think so, Aaron. I think probably Mm. phase one, and more than likely, this is the Spider-Man attraction that Len unearthed those patents for. And my understanding is it's going to swallow... The two acres that Bugs Land sat on, as well as where the It's Tough to Be a Bug theater complex was located. Anyway, as Disney releases more details on that project, we will keep you guys up to breast about it. But for right now, 2020, and remember that the the reason Disney is fast-tracking this project is the opening of Galaxy's Edge, which... There have been some interesting stories coming out of Anaheim how maybe that opening date may be sliding from May, June of next year to a little further back, but Hmm. we'll discuss that in another podcast. So, Venom was the highest grossing film ever to be released in October. It made $80 million on its opening weekend, which bested the previous record holder, that was the Sandra Bullock movie, Gravity, that, that was released in 2013. Wow. That made like $55 million. So this this did, you know, surprisingly well. The reviews weren't great. Or over at Rotten Tomatoes right now, I want to say it has a, a 30% freshness rating. And, and wow. the original Suicide Squad film that came out in August of 2016, that wound up with a 27% Freshness rating. If you go with the audience score, 89% of the people who went to this movie liked it. What's the age range of that group? Do they have a breakdown of their demographics? Because I'm really curious as to who's who's happy about it. Well, I have a feeling they're on the younger end of the demo. That could well be. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't share that breakdown info, though. Right. Uh, well, let me reach out. Maybe they, they, they will at some point. But uh, to put this in perspective, eight. Venom got 89% on audience score. Just back in July, Ant-Man and the Wasp got a 79. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's all broken. Okay. This, I, I, I cannot go by these metrics anymore. I do not trust them. Okay. <laughs> Why is that? What is it about this movie that, that didn't work for you? So much of this just overall story just really got under my skin in not a good venomy way. Mm-hmm. So the the rock and roll motorcycle reporter dude thing just it, it's so fictional. It mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Okay. There's no rock star leather wearing motorcycle videographer news hardcore street news journalist. That's just fictional. Mm-hmm. The way that he interacts with people in the the work environment is not set in a real world at all it's just like my works in tv i work in radio we've had newsrooms it's just not even close it's this is not how it works and so you get upset by little things that you know personally okay for the rest of the audience i can totally understand if you buy into that and think it's cool so then you get to the bad guy 
and he's the head of the company. And Jim, what was his goal with the with the symbiotes? Do you remember what what his overall goal was? Uh, well, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I remember what the secondary goal was when he was spoiler alert infected by a symbiote. I mean, it just didn't make sense. They send a, a space shuttle into space. They encounter a comet or an asteroid. I think it was a comet. Comet. That yeah. Then they get some life forms off of it. They bring it back to Earth, and the first thing that this guy thinks is, well, if I have it bond with people, then I can save life and disease. But first, I've got to get it to bond with people. Then he's got to get on a rocket to go back to their homeland and learn from them, which is a comet that's hurtling through space at a bazillion miles an hour. They're not on a planet, yet later on, Venom mentions the planet he's from. He's considered a loser, which upset me greatly because uh, <laughs> I've never thought of Venom as a loser on his home planet, but whatever. Now, there are some good things. Like, for instance, when Tom Hardy's arm grows, a Venom arm, and it's like three times its size, Mm -hmm. and he looks at it, Tom Hardy does some wonderful acting in this movie. I will never stop saying that Tom Hardy's a good actor, and he is a highlight of this movie because he's got to play a very, I want to say, like, schizophrenic character. You know, he's got two voices in his head. He's got himself, and then he's got Venom talking to him. And so when he reacts to things that are happening to him for the first time, he does a wonderful performance of what the heck is going on and and the expressions on his face and apologizing to what's about to happen to all the people that are about to do him harm. There's, I mean, there are a few bright spots here and there, but it just never looked right. The battle at the end between the two looked horrible. The And the plot overall didn't make sense because Venom was going to eat the entire world. And then for some reason, after being rejected by Brock, he decides that they're best friends and he's not going to eat the world. He's instead going to save it for no reason whatsoever. I mean, just stupid things that make no sense happen all throughout this movie. And you just have to 100% disengage your brain, look at the shiny stuff and go, <laughs> and that's it. And I just can't disengage my brain that much. All right. Now, from my side of the fence, literally, I had been following the miserable reviews for Venom. But again, I, I do this podcast. So this past Friday night, I thought, let's do the five o'clock screening because, you know, it's a movie with poor reviews and that's ahead of the nighttime rush. And so we go to the movie theater about 15 minutes before it opens there's literally just a seat or two on either side of the theater available. The house is full. You know, people mm-hmm. had voted with their feet and bought tickets. And, and again, you know, a five o'clock in the afternoon show is, is basically full. That was my first inkling. Okay, this is maybe going to do better than people had anticipated. And mm-hmm. the very next day, we came within inches of, it turns out we were, as we were driving home, we have a working drive-in up here in Milford, New Hampshire. And wow. that night on a double bill, it just occurred to me, it's like, well, it sounds like it's a big, dumb movie. It would probably yeah. be great to see it at the drive-in, but because it's it's October here and yeah. drive-ins cool. are, you know, that's the tail end of the season. So we finally got to see it this past Tuesday night. Yes, you're right. It's, it's a big, dumb movie, but it's also a big, dumb, fun movie. Yeah. It's an origin story, and 
the thing of origin stories is you often have to plow a lot of road and you know you have to take the audience along with you but in the motorcycle chase through the streets of san francisco where he's showing off all of his abilities sort of the first time we get to see venom using his bag of tricks that was a fun sequence and did i enjoy the the battle as the rocket is getting ready to take off the face down between the the two slightly you know one was a gray venom one was a black venom yeah or symbiote at the end of it i would have no problem going to a venom 2 in fact i was just checking tom hardy is is signed for three of these movies and given the well, money of course that he is. this one is just made we will undoubtedly see it too probably featuring judging by the the tail end scene woody harrelson as carnage yeah so let's talk about that in the comics and again because i don't want to be a purist about everything but mm-hmm. this is where i i have another major disconnect in the comics eddie brock's in jail and his his cellmate is cletus cassidy mm-hmm. venom spawns an offspring it bonds with cletus who's a serial killer that creates carnage Mm -hmm. so here we have this spoiler alert end scene Mm -hmm. during the credits where you get woody harrelson and he talks about when he gets out and he will get out there will be carnage Mm -hmm. and thus far he doesn't know about symbiotes they don't show the symbiote spawning while eddie's there do they no so how how does Cletus know that he's going to get a symbiote and it's going to be called Carnage and he's going to get out without anything, any of this already taking place? That's a studio that's going, hey, look, we're going to be having Carnage in our next movie mm-hmm. and it, do- it doesn't have to make sense. We're just going to put a button in the middle of the credits because you're trained for it by now mm-hmm. and we're going to tease what's coming next it was a very poorly done studio tacked on, hey, we're going to have a sequel. We didn't put any thought into this, and it just annoyed me that it was so bad. And then you get this dark, drab, almost it could have been rated R movie, and then what do you cap it off with? A bright, shiny cartoon version of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and this is where I get the most upset. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is a massive departure from anything in the comics. I mean, yeah, we've had the amazing Spider-Ham and Miles Morales, but bringing them all together into one universe with you know Spider-Gwen and all that, I'm looking very forward to it, mm-hmm. but it's not a story that we've had in the comics, so it's a massive departure. How can Sony Animation get that so tonally correct mm-hmm. and being so unique and so different and so far off from what we're used to and then with Venom, it's so far off from... I mean, yeah, there was some dumb fun in it. There are a few highlight moments. But overall, I just kept getting annoyed with minor chuckles in between. And for me, that's not a good time. Okay. No, I get that. I mean, however, let, let's remember, it, it wasn't all that long ago, May 4th, 2007, that we got Sony's first take on Venom in, in Spider-Man 3, and nobody seem to like that one. I think the problem with that was because everybody loved Venom and you, you had Spidey's battle with the suit, you had him removing the suit, you had Venom being born properly, and then about 20 minutes later, they kill him. 
Mm -hmm. And I think that's what really upset people because they could have let him go and had a really awesome Spider-Man for Spidey versus Venom movie Mm -hmm. that would have appeased all of the fan problems that they would have had with three. But it was, again, a studio shoehorning, hey, Venom's popular. Let's cram him in there with Sandman because they thought Sandman was too old school and people didn't know him. Mm -hmm. And I thought Thomas Hayden Church did a wonderful performance as Sandman. And so, yeah, it was shoehorning him in and then immediately killing him that you don't get a chance to have a proper Venom versus Spidey movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the real problem was. Okay. Part of this job is you have to be able to <laughs> pick the corn out of the... Well, I'm, I'm not going to say that. But <laughs> in this case, you have to applaud Sony. Because remember, going into this project, there was initially some concern because people were saying, how is a PG-13 Venom going to work? I think they found a way to thread the needle with this one. Yeah, Venom didn't need to be an R. You don't make this sort of money if you don't get all sorts of audience segments to show up. Right. From a studio point of view, the fact that they they decided to release this in October in front of Halloween. Right. When the Venn diagram of superhero and super anti-hero and scary monster movie comes together and Mm -hmm. but here then comes the big question how does this thing do in weekend number two now these days if your box office it's acceptable if your ticket sales fall off by about 60 Mm percent that's kind of the rule of thumb in fact the only movie that's that's superhero movie recently that's done better than that was wonder woman and wonder woman was pretty much a phenomenon So right now the eyes are on, well, what happens with Venom in weekend number two? How how much does the box office fall off by? This thing's already over $100 million domestic. And it's it's done a quarter of a billion billion dollars uh, when you factor in all of the international markets and all that. And and for a movie that, and I always feel crazy using this phrase, it only costs... A uh, hundred million dollars to make. Uh, you know, this thing is is now within inches if you factor in how Hollywood does math and uh, publicity costs and so on and so forth. It's almost within inches of of going into the black. So you know, Sony's got to be happy, especially remembering that their whole plan was to just take the Spider-Man franchise and do a whole bunch of movies that that spread out from that you know i mean you know you know into the spider verse is part of that and remember that somewhere out there in the bushes is also a sinister six movie again is a big dumb fun movie i enjoyed it i i will say this much i am hoping that for venom 2 they kind of step up their game they get a little smarter yeah i think they have a take on this character, the anti-hero take that mm-hmm. audiences will accept, but it would be nice to see give Tom Hardy some real material to work with. Every so often, I felt like he was really working hard to to make this work. Yeah, so, so it's it's a real credit to him and his skill that he got this one over the goal line. Because, as you pointed out, there were there were a lot of fumbles along the way. But on the other hand, there there were individual effects and that sort of thing. Like when the symbiotes got loose and wandered across rooms and that sort of thing. I I enjoyed that CG work. I enjoyed the character animation. And you're picking corn. I know. (laughs) Okay. 
I would not begrudge anyone who liked the movie. Good for you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you didn't consider it a waste of money. Mm. I think if you're an old school fan, there's a lot that you will want for that is not going to be there. And then there's been a lot of stories about Venom along the way. There have been some really cool stories about Venom along the way that don't involve a white spider on his chest or whatever, where he's uh, they bond him with Flash Thompson, mm. Peter Parker's old bully from high school, mm. who's got a brain tumor, and he wants to be a hero, so he ends up bonding with the Venom symbiote, and they send him on military missions. And it's basically a suicide mission every single time. And Venom just wants to wreak havoc and kill people along the way. And they basically tell him, if the suit gets control and does anything against mission parameters, we instantly push this button and it detonates this thing in your head and you're dead. And so it's a battle of Flash Thompson, knowing he's a doomed man anyway, going out on these missions trying to control an insane symbiote that just wants to unleash havoc, and he's got to keep it in check while he does this high-level mission. Those are some cool stories, and I wouldn't mind if they went in some of those directions, because they're so far away from what Spider-Man is and how we think of the two being you know, connected at the hip. If they would have went just a little bit further with it, I think I would have been a little bit more okay with the disassociation because it's truly a different storyline that he's on nowadays currently got it okay so we've talked about a big dumb comic book related thing off air before we get started here you were telling me about a big smart fun comic related thing oh love to that we could make if we could make people aware of this yeah and and when you get done i know you haven't seen the trailer for it yet but when you when we get done here go absolutely go look it up i want to mention neil gaiman because he wrote the sandman comics back in the early 90s and won a literary award for his work on a comic book which really upset a lot of real quote-unquote writers who wrote books and novels so they actually changed the rules of the contest so no one could win that award anymore uh, via comics. So it's really intelligent writing. Sandman's a great, great series of comics if you want to go check those, Neil Gaiman's early work. But he ended up writing a novel called Good Omens with Terry Pratchett. And it's the funniest story. It's got a very Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy feel with its humor. It's very absurd, but it's about the end of the world. Before I get too far into this, the Marvel connection, Neil Gaiman wrote 1602 for Marvel, which the whole Marvel universe takes place in 1602. So therefore, I am connected to the Marvel universe with this story. So anyway, the Book of Good Omens, it's a a demon and an angel who have been sent to Earth to kind of manipulate people over the years to do right, to do wrong. And they find out that the Antichrist has been brought to Earth to bring the end of times. And the thing is, they really enjoy being on Earth, and they don't want to really go back home yet. So they have to team up together and best frenemies, if you will, go on a mission to stop the end of the world. And it is hysterically funny. The book, every single page, is laugh-out-loud funny. So they're doing a series on Amazon Prime. It's called Good Omens. It stars David Tennant as a demon, which, I mean, I'm sold right there just on that. Then you've got Michael Sheen as the angel. And I'm just like, okay, when's it start? And it comes out, I want to say, in 2019 sometime, but they just released a trailer earlier in the week. So go check it out. Anytime Neil Gaiman does work, it's always quality. If you remember the movie Coraline, that's something that Neil Gaiman had written, the stop-motion animation movie. Stardust was another Neil Gaiman story that was brilliant. 
with a cross-dressing pirate Robert De Niro. Did you ever see that one, Jim? I think I did. I think I, I mean, I, 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 as I was saying at the top of the show, we actually literally had Coraline on here at the house early today, and it was kind of the world's introduction to what Leica, the stop-motion studio, could do. And it's it's amazing work, but it, it's also this yeah. wonderful story. Yeah. But I have to admit. The notion of David Tennant and, and Michael Sheen after they did such great work together at uh, Doctor Who, and never mind what Tennant just did on Alias Jessica Jones is, you know, a Kilgrave. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Some, some great, great work. So, no, I, I will definitely go out of my way to, to, to check this out. I just have to schedule it around my other Doctor Who viewing. The, the, the new Doctor just debuted, and the other night we finally got to see the new Doctor, and She's wonderful. The show has a very different visual style now that I'm going to be intrigued to see whether or not they can carry through the next set of episodes. Very much enjoy the new Doctor. Not Marvel. You know, not comic book related. Nope. But cool nonetheless. All right. So I guess what we're saying, circling back to Venom, is go. You know, we'll do the Siskel and Ebert. You give it the thumbs up. I give it two thumbs down. There are highlights in the movie. It's not complete garbage. There are a lot of fun moments that peek out through the, the the dumpster fire every once in a while. But I think if you're an older fan of the original Venom, you'll be left wanting more. I think the younger generation who's now hip with the current Venom, they're going to go in, they're going to eat it up with the spoon, and they're going to have no problem saying that was a great movie. I can't wait for part two to come out. And uh, whatever. It's fine. I, it's kind of like, you know, Catwoman. I wouldn't go see with Halle Berry. I wouldn't go see that in a theater. I wouldn't pay for it. I never wanted one of my dollars to go to vote to make that movie happen again. I was very careful never to pay for a Catwoman screening just because I never wanted anyone to at the studio to go, oh, maybe we should make a sequel. So same thing with Venom. Like, I'll go to the free preview, but if you ask me to pay the eight bucks for it, I will pass because I don't want Sony to think I want them to do it again. <laughs> And, and this is why I do a podcast with you. All right. Well, speaking of which, folks, uh, Aaron and I will be back with another Marvelous Disney soon. But for now, thanks for listening and take care. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.